morning, we're going to continue uh, through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to be looking at the second petition of the prayer, praying for God's kingdom to come. And remember, uh, we're taking the time to go through this the way we are uh, because uh, we want to uh, pray it, not just say it, right? When we utilize this prayer, I either pray this prayer as our own prayer or use it as an outline for prayer. We want to understand what it is we're praying, right? And so we're taking the time, and we'll do that this morning again as we look at the kingdom, to just go through Scripture and try to get a sense from Jesus and the apostles' teaching about what the kingdom really means, what we're really praying for when we pray this prayer. And of course, we don't think of all these things that we're going to look at every time we pray it, but... Every time we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, we're going to be seeing all the kinds of things we're praying for. Uh, Let's begin by reading the prayer. Once again this morning, starting in verse 9 and reading through verse 13, and then we'll ask God's grace and the power of his spirit to understand it better. In this manner, our Lord Jesus said, therefore pray... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, I do thank you for this time that we've had to come together this morning and and uh, worship you, and also to encourage one another. I thank you for the great encouragement it's been to me this morning to be reminded by my brothers and sisters in the Lord and Sunday school that we need to wait upon you always and trust in you always, and you will see us through. You will grant us the peace we need and the grace we need to endure. What a good thing to remember. And Lord, as we approach this passage this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us in these ways, helping us to learn to better wait on you, to better endure as we look forward to your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand what our Lord Jesus wants us to understand when we pray this. Help us to gain insights from your word as we look at these various passages this morning about your kingdom and about our role in it and about why it's so important to pray that it would come. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can understand it through the power of your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, many centuries ago, and many years after God had led the Israelites into the promised land, there came a time when they wanted a king like all the other nations had. And we're told in scripture about the responses of both Samuel, who was judge of Israel at that time and a prophet of the Lord, and also about God's response to this request. We're told this in 1 Samuel 8, 6 through 8. We're told, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, 
For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, which was, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. In other words, they're rejecting Samuel because they reject God. And Samuel's his prophet, his appointed man. But perhaps even more sad than the fact that they had asked for another king in the first place is the fact that even after Samuel went back and told them these things that God had said, he told them everything God had said, they still knowingly and willfully rejected the Lord as their king. But a Christian is not such a person, is he? Because among other things, a Christian is a person who has acknowledged God as his rightful king and submitted to him as sovereign Lord. That's what it means to become a Christian in large part. It's to reject wanting a king like the nations have because you want God to be your king. It's to reject the false gods of this world because you want the true God to be your God. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is why Jesus teaches his followers to pray for his kingdom to come. But the question that arises in my mind is, what precisely are we asking for when we pray? Your kingdom come, as it says in the first part of verse 10, in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. What does Jesus mean when he says that we should pray that God's kingdom would come? Obviously, he does not take the time to answer the question, when he gives the prayer as a model for us and when he gives it to his disciples here. Although he's taught a lot about the kingdom and he's going to teach a lot about the kingdom after this and they're going to thereby understand what it means, in this prayer itself, he doesn't take the time to explain what he means precisely. So it would seem best to examine other passages in which Jesus and the apostles taught about the kingdom in order to answer it. Because um, we do want to pray this prayer with understanding. Now, we need to begin by recognizing that the kingdom of God has both a present and a future aspect. And I've taught on this in the past, and I'll probably teach on it a lot in the future, because it's a key concept to understanding all these passages about the kingdom in the New Testament. And you'll see that there are passages that clearly speak of the kingdom as something that's in the future, and also many passages that clearly speak of the kingdom as something that's already come, that's here now. It's present now and manifested through the church and the preaching of the gospel primarily, but it has not yet come in all of its fullness. So there's a now and a not yet tension. There's a now and a not yet aspect of the kingdom. The kingdom in its fullness awaits the return of Christ and ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we'll ultimately experience this kingdom in its fullest. However, it does not seem that Jesus restricts this petition in this prayer to only one of these two aspects of the kingdom. So keeping both the present and future aspects in mind, we're going to examine a number of passages, as I've said this morning, 
in order to see if we can get a better idea about just what we're praying for when we pray, your kingdom come. And you're going to get a bit of a sword drill here today. And I'm going to move pretty quickly through these texts and just try to highlight some lessons along the way when we look at each of these passages. First, we'll examine a number of biblical passages that describe the kingdom as not yet come, something that we're looking forward to in the future. And then we'll examine a number of passages that describe the kingdom as having already come. First of all, we'll look at the passages that describe the kingdom as not yet come. And we'll begin with our Lord Jesus' prophecies about his second coming, because that's when the fullness of the kingdom, at least initially, will, will come. That's when he, it will begun, begin to be ushered in in all of its fullness. That will be at the second coming of Christ, which we were thanking God for this morning and looking forward to this morning in our worship. Look with me at Matthew 13, verses 41 through 43, where our Lord Jesus says, speaking of himself, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. Now notice there, when he comes, there will already be a kingdom here. That's the now part. (laughs) Jesus has already established his kingdom in one sense, and we're a part of it. And when he comes back, he will gather out of his kingdom that's already here all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom. This seems to be moving into the future. Of their father, we're told, they'll shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's what we're praying about this morning when we pray the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when we're praying your kingdom come, what are we praying for? We're praying for Jesus to come in judgment, to manifest his just rule. That's what we get from that text. And also to bring believers into the kingdom of their father, where their fate will be very different from those that have been judged. Later on in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, our Lord Jesus tells us, speaking again of himself, that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now notice Jesus is pictured as sitting on the throne of his glory. This is kingdom language. He's a king on a throne, right? And then we're told, then the king will say, speaking of himself, to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this is, again, the future aspect of the kingdom. We're inheriting this kingdom. Well, we're already part of it, but we're inheriting it in its fullness when Jesus comes back, right? And that's what he has in mind there. So what are we praying for when we pray, your kingdom come? Well, we're praying that God's plan, according to these words of Jesus, from before the foundation of the world, will be accomplished. And we are aligning our hearts with that plan, with his eternal purpose, when we pray, your kingdom come. We're saying, God, we want what you want as members of your kingdom. 
We want your kingdom to come in all its fullness with the return of Christ. We want you to accomplish all your purposes from before the foundation of the world. We want to be a part of those purposes. That's what we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come. Whether we realize it or not, but I want us to realize it. I think Jesus wants us to realize it. Hence all this other talk about the kingdom. So we'll know what he wants us to think about when we pray your kingdom come. We move, moving on into Acts 14. We're told, beginning in verse 21, that when they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the kingdom, or of the disciples, rather, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now there he seems to have this idea of the future kingdom in mind because they're already believers, they're already part of the kingdom now, Right? So you must have the future aspect of the kingdom in mind. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying with the understanding that the coming of his kingdom may bring with it many sufferings for us as we await that time. As we look forward to the return of Christ, when he begins to usher in the kingdom in all its fullness, as we await that time, there are many tribulations that we're going to have to endure. And so when we pray, when your kingdom, uh, your kingdom come, we're really praying, whatever it takes, Lord, even if it means all kinds of trials and tribulations for me. If what we really want is his kingdom to come and not just our own comfort, right? We're putting his kingdom before our own comfort. Moving on to 1 Corinthians 15, we have some more teaching of the Apostle Paul beginning in verse 50, we read this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, a euphemism for death, but we shall all be changed. When Jesus comes back, some believers, most of them, will already have died. Some will still be alive. But all of them will be changed, whether alive or dead. He says this will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We need new resurrection glorified bodies, in other words, right, to live forever. These won't do that. He says, so when this uh, corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, in verse 54, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Now we know from these other passages, speaking of the return of Christ, the resurrection will also happen at that time and death will be conquered. So when we are praying your kingdom come, we're praying for the time when we receive our new resurrection bodies and for the last enemy, death, to finally be conquered. Later on, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, our departed brother, the Apostle Paul, says this, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. 
may it not be charged against them. He's forgiving them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And there he's speaking of our Lord Jesus. Everybody else abandoned him, but Jesus didn't because he never abandons us, right? But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying with confidence. And the more we pray it, the more confidence we'll have, right? That the Lord will indeed preserve us for his kingdom, for his own glory. Paul knew that. And that's helped him get through his trials and still faithfully proclaim the gospel in the midst of those trials, even when everybody abandoned him. And he had to stand on his own. He recognized he wasn't really by himself because Jesus is always with him. And he'll always give us the strength that we need as we look forward to his heavenly kingdom. And he'll ensure that we get there because it depends on him and his strength, not ours. Valuable lesson Paul has to teach us all. And we should be thinking that way when we pray your kingdom come. You'll bring it in, God. And that means you'll see, see, see me safely into it, right? Later on in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10, we read this. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Only Jesus is worthy. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings. Now, some manuscripts read, read uh, a, made us a kingdom and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now, this is looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment when the kingdom comes in its fullness and our part in it. The point for us is that when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that people from every people group all over the world, every tribe and tongue and nation will come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord and, be, and will be with us there because that's the vision of the kingdom in the future. When we pray your kingdom come, that's what we want to happen, what's being described there. And we want to be part of that. See, we're aligning, we're aligning our thinking when we pray your kingdom come with God's kingdom purposes, if we understand them, which is why we're taking the time to review them this morning, as I said. The last text we'll look at in this regard is Revelation 12, verses 7 through 10, where he's seeing this vision. He says, a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. The dragon is here as the devil, which he'll, he'll tell us in a moment. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for the ultimate defeat of Satan and his minions as well. 
In all these ways, we look forward to the future, to the heavenly things to come when we pray your kingdom come. I think uh, John Chrysostom in the late 4th century was pretty well on target when he said it this way. This again is the language of a right-minded child, not to be riveted to things that are seen, neither to account things present some great matter, but to hasten unto our Father and to long for the things to come. And this springs out of a good conscience and a soul set free from things that are on the earth. This, for instance, Paul himself was longing for every day. Wherefore, he also said that even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown, waiting for an adoption, the redemption of our body. For he who has this fondness can neither be puffed up by the good things of this life, nor bashed by its sorrows, but as though dwelling in the very heavens is freed from each sort of irregularity, he puts it. Irregularity, that's a mild term, isn't it, for all the bad things that happen? He's saying we have a future focus, a kingdom focus, and that changes everything for us, he says. It makes the hardships of this world a light thing. It makes the allures of this world something that we easily pass by. This future focus is indeed a crucial part of the Christian mindset that our Lord Jesus wishes to instill in all of us. We see this throughout his and the apostles' teaching as we've just got a hint of this morning. But we must not forget at the same time that we already have a foretaste of what is to come. Um, as I often put it, it's, it's as though the future kingdom to come has reached back into the past, our present, and manifested itself now, taking a hold of us and is pulling us forward to the future. That future kingdom is here in part now. We have a foretaste of what it will be like in the future. And that, that's our second point that we're looking at. The kingdom has already come. And here we'll begin with Matthew's account of Jesus' own summary of his message. And you can find this in other parts of the New Testament as well. Often preaching the gospel is just called preaching the kingdom. You can't preach the gospel without talking about the kingdom of God. Not fully, not faithfully. And so we, we're not surprised to read in Matthew 4.17, from that time, after Jesus' baptism and, and after he was, uh, spent the 40 days in the wilderness being tempted, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a way of saying it's, it's near you right now, it's here. Why? Well, as we see, it's because Jesus is there. The king is there. And where the king is, the kingdom is, right? So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying according to this, because Jesus said repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're praying for repentance. Not only for ourselves, but for all who hear the gospel. If we want the kingdom to come, to continue growing in the world, we want repentance and trusting in Christ to be happening. Because it's only through repentance and faith that we experience his kingdom as already come. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now, a present possession. 
So when we sincerely pray your kingdom come, we're praying both from and for a deep sense of humility and utter dependence on, upon God because that's what poor in spirit is talking about. Not only in ourselves, but in all who hear the gospel. If we want the kingdom to come and only those who are poor in spirit have it, then we're praying for there to be poor in spirit. Of course, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Later on in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33, which we'll get to in maybe a couple of months, uh, we read this, Therefore do not worry, saying, What should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So when we are praying your kingdom come, if we're praying it sincerely, we're expressing in prayer a commitment to the kingdom that comes first in our lives. That's why it's first in the prayer, right after, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Comes before, give us this day our daily bread for a reason. And Jesus goes on to elaborate on that, right? Later on in Matthew 6, his kingdom is more important than our earthly lives. Even our daily needs is more important than that. God, help us to mean that when we pray your kingdom come, right? And then we can rightly pray, give us this day our daily bread. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said this, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the king, kingdom of God has come upon you. They were different times, the people that were standing against Jesus, the Jewish leaders, mostly the Pharisees, scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians jumped in there sometimes. They always attack him. One of the things that they challenged him with is they thought or accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan himself, being in league with him. And Jesus pointed out how ridiculous that is. Even Satan's not so stupid to be divided against himself, right? And so he pointed out that's just a nonsensical thing to think. But he all, the reason they didn't want to think what they should have thought, namely that Jesus had this power because he's God, Right, and because the kingdom of God had come in him. And when he pointed it out to him, if it's indeed true, and it is, that I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is here, which is another way of saying I'm the king, (laughs) which is another way of implying that they should be submitting to him, accepting him as the Messiah, But clearly, Jesus saw himself as ushering in the kingdom now in his own ministry. Even if at other times he said, but it's not yet come in its fullness. That doesn't mean it hasn't come at all. Clearly had. So when we're praying that your kingdom come, we're praying that the power of the kingdom also will be manifested through spiritual victory over Satan and his demonic legions now. We're praying for more of what Jesus did then. 
to go on. Because that's part of what it means that his kingdom has come. Satan and his minions are being defeated all the time. And we're a part of that by God's grace. We pray your kingdom come. We want that to continue. In Luke 9, 62, we're told that Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, when we pray your kingdom come with understanding and sincerity, we're expressing our commitment to the kingdom, a commitment that demands perseverance. That's what Jesus was saying there. If you're, if you're going to commit to the kingdom of God, you're in all the way. There's no turning back. It demands perseverance. And, of course, trust God for it, as we saw in Paul's earlier example. Remember? How did he persevere and preach the gospel and everybody abandoned him? Christ gave him the strength to do it. So Jesus isn't presupposing that we endure in our own strength. People who look back are the ones who aren't really trusting Christ in his strength anyway. That's why they don't persevere. In Luke 17, verses 20 through 21... We're told that when our Lord Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For for indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's my translation. It concurs with the New American Standard Bible and the ESV. It says, in the midst of you. Uh, Some translations say within you, but that's not the right way to take it. Jesus wasn't telling the Pharisees who hated him and hated the kingdom that it was within them. (laughs) That's not what he was saying. He was saying, it's here among you now. But see, they're they're saying, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus is saying, you don't even see it. It's here. Because it's not coming the way you expect it to come. You don't think it's here, but it's here because I'm here. That was his basic answer to them. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying with the understanding that many will not see his kingdom, (laughs) right? Because they're constantly looking for the wrong thing and refusing to believe. But we are praying that his kingdom will come despite such opposition. And that many will be enabled to see his kingdom now in their midst. Of course, since the ascension of Christ which we read about this morning in our worship time. He's still here in the church. Where do people see the kingdom now? In his body, the church. And uh, Paul sees this in Romans 14, 17, where he, when he says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. There are people that were arguing in Rome about whether or not they should eat certain things or drink certain things, whether they should drink wine or eat meat, sacrifice idols and such as that, and they were getting off track. They were missing the force for the trees. And Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So where do you see the kingdom of God now? Wherever you see Holy Spirit given righteousness, peace, and joy, and you see that in Christians. 
He's basically saying to them, you folks have forgotten you're the kingdom. <laughs> you need to start acting like it. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for righteousness and peace and joy to be experienced and seen in the church through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And then moving on to our final verse in Colossians 1.13, we're told that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're recognizing that it is only by God's power and grace that we have come into his kingdom. And we're asking that many others throughout the world will also experience this power and grace through faith in Christ. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, if you read the rest of what Paul has to say, you know how that happens. How is it that we're conveyed into the kingdom? By God's grace, through his power. How does he do it? Through the gospel. He does it through convicting us through the Holy Spirit that we're sinners in need of a savior. That we've offended an almighty God who created the whole universe. We owe him our obedience and yet we've disobeyed. We owe him our love and yet we've hated him. And through the power of the spirit we're convicted of our sins. And see that we need a savior and that we cannot save ourselves. And we come to believe that Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary and lived a sinless life, is the one who is fully God and fully man. Also then died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Taking our sins upon himself. The punishment for our sins. Bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And then having done that, on the third day he rose from the dead and conquered death on our behalf, that last enemy we read about before. And he ascended to the Father's right hand from which he reigns over his kingdom. Remember, one of the first verses we read said he'll come to his kingdom that's already here in order to begin to manifest his kingdom and bring it in all of its fullness. And we're part of that kingdom now if we've trusted in him as our savior and accepted the free gift of everlasting life, forgiveness of sins. That's how we become a part of the kingdom of God. And that's why the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the kingdom are the same thing in the Bible, in the New Testament. They're the same thing. That it's through God's power that this happens, not our own. And, that, and it's also through God's powers we've seen that we're sustained as we await the future kingdom and not our own power. After all, as a translator's handbook on the Gospel of Matthew so aptly observes, the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray here requests that God establish his reign for us, not that we establish it for him. We're asking him to do what only he can do. And by his grace, he chooses to work through us in doing it. As we share that gospel message with other people and they join the kingdom that we're already a part of by surrendering to the king. So I think we've clearly seen in scripture this morning that to be a Christian is to be a part of God's kingdom now. It's 
It is to have a consuming desire also that his kingdom would advance in this world through the preaching of the gospel and the salvation of others. And it's to be filled with a longing for the ultimate coming of his kingdom in the future return of Christ and in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, we should ask, is this really true of us as it should be? What is it that we pray for most often? What is it that we communicate most clearly to others through our lives every day as our top priority? Would people get the impression when they look at us, not just when they hear us pray, but when they look at how we live, that we're about seeking the kingdom first? Can others see through our lives who our king really is? Or would they get the impression that we serve the same gods they do? Personal peace, affluence, popularity, power. There's plenty of them around. When they look at us, do they think we, like the ancient Israelites, have rejected God as our king? Do we, do we say that we want God as our king, but live as though we wish he weren't? We're all going to be tempted in these ways. Jesus knows that. That's why he teaches us to pray a daily prayer. It has right at the top, after, hallowed be your name, Heavenly Father. Your kingdom come. He knows we need to daily realign our hearts with his glorious purposes right at the beginning because he knows all the ways we're going to be tempted not to seek first his kingdom. He's building in protection for us if we pray the way he teaches us to pray. You see how loving he is? What a thoughtful savior we have. He gets us because he's been tempted as the author of Hebrews teaches us, in all the ways that we are, yet without sin. He knows how to teach us to pray because he's been tempted in all the ways he knows we will be tempted. And he knows every day we're going to be tempted not to put God's kingdom first. So right at the beginning, we've got to pray, your kingdom come. But hopefully today when we pray it, from the future, for some of us, we already knew all this. And it's just a good reminder. Well, good. Hopefully going forward, when we pray your kingdom come, we'll know what we're praying and we'll mean it. We'll desire it even more. Let's, let's pray now. Holy Father, we do ask that your kingdom would come. We do thank you, all of us who know you, for bringing us into your kingdom, the kingdom of your beloved Son. We know it is by your grace and through the power of your spirit that this happened. And it wasn't through any effort of our own. And we ask, Lord, that if, if there are any others here who have not yet come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord, that they will trust in him today, believing that he died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead to conquer death on their behalf, that they'll leave off trusting in themselves, that they'll reject the idol of self, 
the biggest idol of all people ever and say, I want you, God, not me, to be my true king. I want to surrender to Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of salvation from him. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you do and answer these prayers because we know that you alone deserve it. We ask all these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As always, I thank you once again for your kind attention. What good Bible hearers you are. I love you guys.